The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Cool Stuff Ride Home Podcast. My name's Marcus Path alongside Reggie Rizzo. Coming up on today's episode, individuals with peanut allergies may soon find relief in toothpaste, plus a world record for pencil curation, and perhaps new life for the latest Wiley e. Coyote film, and toilet paper in your refrigerator. We'll explain all that plus this week in history on today's Ride Home. If you have a peanut allergy, there may be toothpaste out there that can help you. Now, for years, doctors have used small amounts of a dangerous allergen to try to treat a patient's allergies. The idea being that you can desensitize the patient of their allergy over time, keeping them safe. Now, when it comes to peanut allergies, there is a proposed toothpaste out there that will contain tiny amounts of the nut to help build the patient's immunity over time to save them from having severe reactions to peanuts. The toothpaste has been tested using people with the allergy. It had a small trial of 32 people. Every patient was able to tolerate the highest dose of the peanut toothpaste without any moderate or severe reactions. Now, there were a few people that tested the product uh, that did experience a little itch in their mouth, but the reaction was mild. According to Dr. William Berger, an allergy expert who spoke at the annual scientific meetings of the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, said that due to the targeted delivery and simple administration, this toothpaste can desensitize patients to peanuts without requiring dozens of visits to the clinic over several of years. It was a 42-week trial. Like I said, 32 people with peanut allergies between the ages of 18 to 55 took place in this trial. They also used the toothpaste and a placebo control, 3 to 1 ratio. The patients brushed their teeth with an increasingly strong dose of peanut toothpaste, or if they were part of the placebo group, a peanut-free product. Dr. Berger said, we noted 100% of those being treated with the toothpaste consistently tolerated the pre-specified protocol highest dose, end quote. The safety of the patients were monitored throughout the testing. They also used blood tests to check on the patient's immune system and how it was responding to the allergen. There's no word yet on when the peanut toothpaste will be available to patients as they plan on doing more testing before it is released. It's a fascinating story, Reggie, and you wonder about the possibilities for other allergies that exist. Of course, we know peanuts tend to be one of the more well-known severe allergies to exist out there. But uh, I know, I'm sure, as I'm sure you do, a handful of people with a lot of odd allergies that cause them distress in their life. And maybe this is one way to start introducing that methodology that they talked about of small amounts at a time just via the toothpaste that you use. So curious to see what the possibilities would be all around once this is actually rolled out for the peanut side of things. Now, I know they said tiny dose, but it does make me wonder, are your teeth still as clean if it's got a little bit of peanut in there? <laughs> it's fair enough. Is it achieving the outcome that you're traditionally looking for from your toothpaste? I don't know. I would have to assume that it's doing a little bit of both. But if that's the way that you can desensitize yourself to something that causes a lot of people a great amount of distress, then what a, what a leap forward. 
And from what I gathered in the story, this isn't a permanent solution to replace your toothpaste. It's to do it until it reduces your reaction a little bit, and then eventually you can go back to your regular toothpaste. Well, there is a new Guinness World Record out there, this one for the most pencils. An Iowa man has officially been awarded the Guinness Book of World Records title for his collection of 69,255 pencils. Over the summer, they held a public counting event with help from the American Pencil Collector Society, which I didn't know existed, uh, and <laughs> submitted the result, totaling the Guinness Book of World Records with ample evidence. Now, he does officially own that world's largest pencil collection, I guess, title. According to the new world record, Aaron Bartholomew, number-wise, he knew he could beat the record. He just, you know, wanted to make sure, you know, make it official. Now, with his pencils, we're not just talking number two pencils here. He has pencils dating back more than 100 years, advertising pencils, pencils designed for rotary phones, sports pencils bearing the team schedules. We even has, you know, just those pencils that you see kids bring home from school all the time. Like, you know, a ghost pencil, you know, those specialized pencils. So it's just not he has 69,000 number two pencils sitting around his house. These are all collectible <laughs> pencils, for lack of a better term, I guess. Yeah, it's a little bit cooler when you put it in perspective like that. And because I'm sitting here going, how popular can Ticonderoga be with this guy? And frankly, <laughs> I, I still don't know. I'm sure people will find this ridiculous. But why is it number two? Why is number two the preferred pencil number or the one we hear so much about what happened to number one three and there's, four there's science behind it i've read the, i don't remember all the details but there's science behind it it works better for the testing and stuff do you think this guy ever thinks like oh, I, I i don't have anything to write with on this list because he's probably not sharpening <laughs> these do you think he's always looking for a pen or a pencil to make his list well, I sure hope not, given how many he has at his disposal. But like you said, I would guess most of those are for show. It does sound like it could actually be kind of a cool museum to, to check out, given some of the unique pencils that you talked about a minute ago. What I'd really like to know is how much storage space is required to house 69,000 of these things. I know pencils don't really take up a whole lot of space, but that's an exorbitant number. And I got to wonder if this individual has a spouse somewhere saying, what on earth are we doing with all of these pencils taking up this room? Do you rent a storage locker? How do you take care of that and, and not irritate the people that you live with at the same time? Well, with them being wood, I would think you would need them in a specialized, probably environmentally controlled space so they don't warp or get broken. Yeah, that's a fair point. I hadn't even stopped to consider that, but you are trying to preserve them over time as well so what a record i don't know what you do with that record uh or or who you tell about but i suppose it's a fun little oddity to bring up at parties and and certainly if you have people over to show off your pencil collection although i'm not sure how excited i would be if somebody invited me back to take a look at all the pencils they'd curated over the years upon showing up somewhere I'm going to start a collection try to get to sixty-eight thousand pencils so that way i can just be number two on the list. Oh. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastic into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. 
Warner Brothers has reportedly changed its stance on the feature film Coyote vs. Acme, granting the filmmakers permission to explore alternative distribution options within Hollywood. This development follows Warner Brothers' recent decision to initially shelve the project completely with the intent of writing it off for a $30 million tax credit by categorizing it as a complete loss. Following the original announcement that the film would never see the light of day, many filmmakers voiced their frustration on social media, emphasizing that the movie was finished, well-received, and had performed positively in various test screenings. It was originally intended for Max, formerly known as HBO Max. The film appeared to fall victim to Warner Brothers' updated approach of late, asserting that high-budget feature films should never go directly to streaming services, instead being shown within a theater setting. Of course, the film would have depicted, or rather does depict, Wiley Coyote suing the Acme Corporation for the countless products that backfired on him over the years in his pursuit of the Roadrunner. The cast for this film includes Will Forte as Wiley's attorney, and then John Cena, the former professional wrestler turned actor, as the Acme CEO. Both Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner first appeared in 1949 within the theatrical cartoon short Fast and Furious. Reggie, you have young kids at home. I'm curious, Wiley Coyote, you and I grew up with him, as did millions of Americans over the past several decades. But are these characters still readily visible in today's cartoon landscape? I believe so. They they did a Bugs Bunny remake recently. Uh, my kids watched it for a little bit. And my daughter watches YouTube all the time. And she watches old cartoons there. So I'm sure they know who Wile E. Coyote is. So I think it's still visible out there. And a lot of parents might want to just see this for nostalgia. Absolutely. And quite frankly, I think even if you don't know who Wile E. Coyote is entering the movie theater, or I guess in this case, entering the film on a streaming service, you're going to be entertained, at least as a young kid. That's exactly what the Looney Tunes do. I should point out, by the way, that the decision to shelve the project, the original decision, comes after veteran animation executive Bill Damaschke assumed control of Warner Animation Group earlier this year. And it's not the first time that Warner Brothers has opted to shelve a project, Reggie. I believe they did Batgirl not too long ago. And there was a decent amount of outcry for that. The people wanted to see the movie, good or bad. They just wanted to see it. They want to know if it was good or bad. So at $30 million, you think you could find a way to get your money back? I mean, I know that sounds like a lot of money, but nowadays they're upset if a movie at the theater doesn't come in over 50 to 75 million. Yeah, that was just over a year ago, I believe August or right around August of 2022 that the Batgirl decision came down. Yeah, I'm not sure the the tax implications in any of this. It just seems kind of odd that you keep making movies and saying, you know, we're going to take the tax credit on this. Well, I will say this. If the movie does ever make it to a particular streaming service, I will take it in because the plot has me interested. The fact that Wiley Coyote is finally suing the Acme Corporation for all of these ridiculous gadgets that have not once, at least to my memory, actually done what they were supposed to do when when he broke him out of the box you would have assumed and i'm no legal expert reg but i would have assumed that he'd have a pretty strong case against this corporation you know i don't know he he always seems to recover from his injury so there's no permanent you know <laughs> no permanent injury there i don't know what what kind of a dollar value you might you probably have you know somewhat of a case we're probably not talking you know the millions and millions 
because there's no permanent damage there. So I'm not really sure, but (laughs) it's a good question to ask. Well, hopefully we'll have a chance to take this one in in the near future. We'll keep you updated. There's a new viral hack out there that has people on social media putting toilet paper in their fridge for a good reason. They're doing it as part of their everyday life now. So if you have food in the fridge that is spoiled and you can't get rid of that smell, well, this social media hack says use toilet paper. According to social media users, toilet paper can help absorb the moisture in the fridge, which can help reduce mold, mildew, and bad smells. Personally, I've always used baking soda for those methods. But according to Parade, a lifestyle and home website, you can use the toilet paper. However, baking soda needs to be replaced every three months. The toilet paper method, however, should be swapped out about every three weeks. Parade also recommends putting in a fresh roll in the back of the fridge away from anything that can leak and that the toilet paper should be tossed after three weeks and definitely do not reuse the roll in the bathroom. I have a couple (laughs) questions on this for you, Marcus. Shoot, fire away. Does it matter which ply? Can we use a single ply, double ply? I think if I'm using toilet paper for the purposes of soaking up bad smells, I'm likely going with the cheapest stuff possible. You know what you typically find when you're at a public place and they've cheaped out on that single ply stuff? You know the type where you have to take three feet at a time just to accomplish what you're looking to do there? The toilet paper that doesn't make sense because you're using twice as much when you could have just gotten two ply to start with. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I also want to know, if you did reuse it, how bad would that be? Well, I'm assuming that it's uh, soaking up microbes of some sort, and <laughs> you presumably don't want to put those things uh, inside your body, if you know what I mean. So uh, I, I, I had the same thoughts, but <laughs> I, I'm sure there's people out there be like, it looks good. I'm sure there are. Uh, Get your money's worth out of that toilet paper. Not only (laughs) soaking up the smells, but also doing what it was intended to do uh, when you... Now, all those people who stocked up for the pandemic, you got something to use your toilet paper for. That's right. There you go. I'll be honest. I've never thought to do anything like this. I didn't even realize baking soda was a thing, which I'm sure some people find crazy. But yeah, uh, I'm going to have to take advantage of this because we all know that disgusting feeling of opening the fridge and being met with a waft of something nasty and you just can't figure out where it's coming from so toilet paper it is for me going forward i'll report back on my findings here in the next few days taking a look back at this date in 1896 so november 14 1896 the speed limit for the horseless carriages in britain was raised from four miles per hour in the country and two miles per hour in towns to up to 14 miles per hour The reason for raising the speed limit was the first London to Brighton car run, which only became a regular and official event from 1927 on uh, when it was sponsored by the Daily Sketch. Now, a little bit of history on that run. To uh, qualify, participating cars must be built before 1905. It is also the world's largest gathering of veteran cars. The first edition of the run, the Emancipation Run in 1896, was in celebration of those speed limits going up and the motor vehicle laws being changed in the United Kingdom. Now, this event is not a race. They don't even publish the order in which cars finish. The participants aren't permitted to exceed an average speed over 20 miles per hour. And uh, anyone that finishes before 4.30 p.m. is awarded a medal, but most cars don't finish before that time limit. Hmm. 
I don't know how exciting of an event this would be to go take in, Reggie, watching cars move along at up to speeds of 20 miles an hour at <laughs> uh, this day and age. Although that is quite a leap in legal speed going from 4 to 14 the way that they did. What I'm interested to know is, did the early model cars actually have a speedometer included inside the vehicle to know exactly how fast you were going? I, I assume there mu they must have if limits were in effect in this manner. Yeah, and I don't think police had radar guns to check uh, to see how fast they were going, though. So I, I don't know how well it was regulated in general. It was just the, I believe, the posted limit or the suggested limit. I don't know if they had any way to regulate it. Yeah, it feels like a cop could probably have gotten off and chased you down on foot or at least by horse if they really wanted to pull you over and ask you, do you know how fast you were going? No, sir, I don't. There's no speedometer in this car. Right now, I get annoyed going 10 to 15 in town wondering, man, these people are going so slow. I can't imagine going two. <laughs> Can you imagine taking a crosstown journey at that speed and knowing, all right, I've got about seven blocks to go. I should be there in roughly a half hour. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home with Marcus Path. I'm Reggie Rizzo. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>